Welcome to The Business Grind, where we give you an inside perspective on what it takes to start, build, and run a successful business. Here are your hosts, Danny Shaw and Sean Michael Wellington. All right. Hello to everyone in podcast land today. Thanks for joining us, Sean. How are you feeling? Feeling good and ready to go back to the book reviews. It's been right. a little bit since we've done one. Yeah, it has, right? We don't be reading no more. <laughs> no, nah, we be reading. We just be busy. All right. Yeah, so uh, definitely getting back into the book reviews. So uh, today's episode, we're going to discuss the book, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun, which is written by uh, Reginald F. Lewis, Hubie Price, and I believe some additional contributions from his daughter, right? Yeah, and just something for me personally, it was like, so his name is Reginald F. Lewis, or uh-huh. the F was like Francis Lewis, and uh-huh. being from Queens, Francis uh-huh. Lewis, it just was like, you know, it thought oh. it made my ears perk. I was like, wait, his name is Francis Lewis? So oh. that's like a block slash neighborhood in Queens. So okay, had to give a shout out to New York and your side of town. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it. All right, <laughs> so uh, the book is about Reginald F. Lewis, and um Basically, it chronicle, chronicles his his life, you know, his uh, work, uh, his upbringings, his life, um, and ultimately his passing as well. Uh, in regards to a little bit of context on who Reginald F. Lewis is, um, he was an American businessman. He was one of the richest black men uh, in the 1980s. Um, you know, he has he's been um, touted as having being the first black American to build a billion dollar uh build a billion dollar company and um he was listed uh on forbes as being one of the 400 richest americans in 1993 and ultimately uh his untimely passing in 1993 at the age of 50. so this book really just you know takes us through the journey of his upbringings uh, a lot of insight into his personal life um also insight into how he got into the business world and the deals that made him uh, the wealthy man that he was today, uh, that he was at the time, and then you know his passing and his legacy. All right. Yeah, um, and they kind of um, go into some details as we get to the middle of the book about a little bit of the details of how he moved as a business person, how he was able to secure some of these deals and mm-hmm. secure some of these acquisitions. So okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So indeed. So now that we've kind of set the stage on who this man was and what the book was about. Let's get into it. So, Sean, first out the gate, did you like the book? Um, so with all due respect, I'm going to say no. It wasn't a book <laughs> that I did, I mean I, I I liked some of it. I liked parts of it. Mm-hmm. But um if I'm giving the overall like, you know, critique of the book, the, the beginning was mm-hmm. a little too slow for me. And when I mean slow, it didn't really get into the business lessons fast enough for me. It was mm-hmm. very it's very autobiographical, and I guess that's what this is. This is a business slash autobiograph biography. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's the beginning. I want to hear your opinion too, because I think I get why they told the story, right? Um, right. The first first couple chapters was all about his upbringing, how his parents instilled in certain things into him, and how he was a student athlete, and mm-hmm. how athletics really played into his his mentality, and it carried over into business. So I do understand the reason for it being there. It just felt very stretched out. So. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you in that regard. So for me, um, it was a good book. It wasn't my favorite business-related book. Uh, so for me, it kind of went into three cycles. So in the beginning, early on, for me, uh, it was 
fine to get to know his background and his upbringing, but I do agree. It, to me, it felt like it dragged a bit. You know, I was like, all right, I want to get into some of the other stuff, but I do understand why they laid it down. So for me, it was like the the beginning of the book, or let me not say the beginning because it was a lot uh, in that first half, but it was three phases, telling his upbringing and background. Then you go and transition into, you know, um, him leaving college and getting into the business world and being a lawyer and getting his feet wet there, and then his deals from there, and then ultimately the tail end towards his life. So the beginning of the book kind of drags for me. I got a little bit more invested during the, you know, the transition of him being a lawyer and then uh, him being a lawyer and then transitioning to be a businessman. And then, you know, some of those major deals that he closed that made him very famous and in the spotlight. And then towards the end, I was, I got a little sad towards the end uh, as it started talking about, you know, his health problems and complications that um, that he was dealing with towards the end. So, yeah, so not my favorite good book, but was it, you know, it took me through a lot of areas that I don't usually like when I'm reading a book, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think you made an interesting point because it sounds like you kind of got back in and it sucks you back then a little bit when he started getting into the business world after he left college. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. For me, it was actually him talking about being at Harvard. That, mm. that was, okay, that, that's interesting. Like, so his experience in Harvard, how he, you know, him applying, him adjusting and acclimating to the campus and the, and the community there, how mm-hmm. he had to, like, you know, the cold switching of it all. Like, that kind of interested me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, but yes, I would, but then it kind of, it, it didn't pick up really until he started, you know, making deals and closing deals. Right. One thing I thought was interesting about the Harvard, you know, his claim on, I'm saying it's a claim, but I'm assuming it sounded like it was true based by everybody's accounts. He technically did not apply to Harvard, right? Um, He got in through like a program, but he didn't fill out an application and he kind of just, you know, got in and he was very proud of that. (laughs) He didn't have to like, you know, go the traditional route of of getting into Harvard and uh, getting a degree from there, and I, that kind of stuck out to me because you know I felt like that was something that he took uh, pride in throughout the rest of his career. Not just saying, "Oh, I got into Harvard and you know I didn't have to really apply," but just how his whole energy as a whole was really about making deals and how he could make things work for him, regardless of the obstacles. Right. Yeah, he really didn't believe in any limitations. That was kind of his running theme is like, yeah, that's just a construct. Like, that doesn't really, you're letting that thing, these things, whatever it is, <laughs> right. limit you. You're letting these so. things, right? Like, you're letting uh, your race or you dwelling on your race and the, you know, um, adversities uh, take control of you. You're letting, you know, your lack of money or education, everything that most people would probably say they can't do because of these things. He would say, "Nah, I'm, we can we can get past that, right?" Yeah, that's exact. That was really if there was a theme of his of the book and like his philosophy, it was mm-hmm. that like yeah, these are just obstacles, but they're not they're not limitations you should accept. Yeah, which was funny. I thought it was funny is because while he had that uh, mentality, there was definitely points where he even he would get mad and frustrated and like you know because of these same. Uh, issues that he would tell other people not to focus on, right? Like, he knew when he would get slighted for something because he was black, you know? Uh, And, you know, that burnt him up. Uh, So it was also, for me, interesting to see how even, 
you know, sometimes it was hard for him to hold that same energy when it would happen, right? Like there's only so much he could he could do to before ultimately it would still get to him as well. Yeah, for sure. And then I mean, we don't I don't know what kind of order we're gonna go in. I don't wanna skip around too much. Oh, we but just, yeah, go for it. Like his big deal, um, was it McCall? Uh-huh. It was either McCall or the was it the the milk company? No, it was McCall. It was McCall. Mm-hmm. So his deal with McCall, he really, you know, he presented himself as uh, representing a group of investors mm-hmm. because of his race, right? He, right. though he didn't, he did, he did both things. He didn't let his race limit him, but he was aware that it is a limiter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, <laughs> he presented himself as like, hey, I, I represent this group of people who want to buy this company mm-hmm. when it's really just him. But he knew that the perception would be different if he came by himself as an individual black man trying to buy this company. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, just to kind of agree with what you said, he. He would get frustrated and he would act based on these construct of limitations. But, you know, he was still smart enough to know that whether they're real or not, I need to move in a way that I'm going to pass them. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, let me let me step back first before we get into the book. Have you been in a scenario like that where you had to present yourself in a different way or not reveal who you were, your, your true role in a certain business situation was? I have not explicitly been in that situation, no. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I have the advantage of being 20, 23 years past when he was trying to do it. Maybe more than that, actually, when you think about it, actually, because he was doing this in the early 80s, right? Mm-hmm. So, so 30 plus years uh, later, where, you know, it's a little more of a, uh, it's a different world we live in than back then. So I see the necessity for what he did, but I can't say that I've had to do anything that explicitly to hide, you know, who I am mm-hmm. uh, in a business deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I would say, I don't, I've never done it in the sense of to hide, you know, my race or anything like that. But I definitely have been in scenarios where I may not, uh, you may not know I own the company, right? Mm-hmm. Not And not necessarily because, oh, I'm, I'm black or anything, mainly because it's like, well, you don't need to know that. <laughs> like I'm, I'm working on behalf of the company, right? It doesn't. Really, it's irrelevant if I own the company or not. I I would feel like sometimes, especially early on, if they felt that I did own the business, then it'd be more nonsense I would have to deal with when it came to negotiation and stuff, right? Because it's like, oh, well, you can, you know. I just always felt like that those type of scenarios would come about. Uh, because they knew I was black, so I wasn't concerned about that. It was just more about what they thought the uh, uh, operating structure of the company would be. Okay, yeah. So I guess in that regard, I have been in that scenario where it's like, you know, I work in video for the most part, so I'll, mm-hmm. they'll see me doing a task and mm-hmm. not be aware that I'm actually, you know, the mm-hmm. owner of the company or running it. So yeah, that's true. I've been in that situation. Okay, fair enough. All right, sounds good. All right, so then let's get into uh, Mr. Lewis and, you know, his early dealings. So, you know, at first he was uh, a lawyer, so he's recruited uh, to, to work in a law firm right after law school. And um, he started his own firm, you know, shortly after, right? Um, and then after being a corporate lawyer, I think about 10, 15 years, he had his own practice. Uh, he moved to his own uh, side of he moved he switched gears and created a private equity firm right yeah. uh and got more into you know acquiring businesses and and so forth and i think the first the first his first major deal was the one you spoke about right mccall pattern company yeah mccall pattern company which right. was like a 
for the, so antiquated right now. So I feel like we got to explain what a battery company <laughs> is. Basically, <laughs> like those sewing machine people who used to use sewing machines, it would be the pattern for the dress or whatever the shape it is you're sewing. It's like a like a cutout, like a tracer, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. Have so yeah. It. Okay, fair. <laughs> it's like, oh, we dating ourselves here, right? Yeah, because uh, I feel like people don't even know what a sewing machine is. Right? So. Right? That that might... Listen, I've I've had a few of those moments uh, this year where I'm thinking... I'm da- I've dated myself. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm making reference to things that people are just looking at me like I'm crazy. So, all right. So, yeah. Home sewing uh, pattern business, right? Um, so, he purchased it. And then... Um, you know, I think so. This is where this is not my area of uh, deep knowledge and expertise, right? Um, but he was able to negotiate the price down, you know, um, and turn the company around by freeing up capital that was tied into uh, fixed assets that the building owned, that the company owned, such as the building and machinery, and then also finding additional use for the machinery during downtime by using the company to manufacture greeting cards, right? Um, and then he started recruiting managers from rival companies. So for people who may not be familiar with this type of strategy, I know a lot of times we talk about, you know, starting your own business and creating your own business or even investing in other businesses like through stocks and stuff. But we haven't really talked about, you know, buying whole businesses and then finding value inside of those businesses, right? Um, and Sean, feel free to jump in before I start going off a tangent and monopolizing this part of the uh, conversation. All um, right. Well, I mean, I do think that once we got to this section of the book, it reminded me a little bit of Built to Sell, mm-hmm. um, the we did a couple uh, episodes back. Right. So it's not the exact same method because he purchased a company that was already established versus, right. you know, starting a company and building to sell. But once he took over the company, he did like his goal. Mm-hmm. Um, he did, you know, strategically make it profitable and make it to a point where he could resell it and make a profit off of it, basically. Right. Um, and I think what stood out to me, what was interesting was his reasoning behind it. Right. Because this was a company that he knew he could negotiate mm-hmm. and buy f- with a for a good price because it's an industry that was shrinking. It's a the right. sewing industry was shrinking overall. So mm-hmm. you know, th- 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 there's not much more growth for the industry. So people probably might be looking to sell. And he, you know, he was smart enough to to recognize that, but know that that was the leader in that industry. So regardless of the industry shaking, that's still a leader uh, out of the companies who who operate in there. So there's still money to be made. Mm-hmm. So. Right. And so I think a lot of times and when we talk about freeing up capital or, uh, you know, creating more value within a company, sometimes it's, it's for people who may not be familiar. It's like, well, how, how does that happen? How do you go in a company and start freeing up more capital and identify more value? Right. And I think a lot of times it's like, well, these capital and things are you know, and these assets are already tied up to one thing. And you may not realize that you can get more value or an additional value if you can put it to multiple uses, usage, right? So by using that manufacturer, uh, manufacturing company, instead of just focusing on patterns, we know it's going to be a downturn or downtime during certain seasons. Why not use these same machineries for additional uses? That's going to still help make money, right? And yeah. uh, owning the real estate and so forth. So for instance, as as an example, which always kind of uh, amazes me, uh, Macy's, right? Like the stock of Macy's, you know, is usually 
well, recently, a lot of critique is, you know, um, stock of Macy's is undervalued, right? And the reason why a lot of people feel that way is because even though Macy's does all this amazing business from sales, if they was to sell their real estate, if they just closed all their stores and just sold all the real estate or used all the real estate that they own for all the department stores that they have, that would unlock way more value and money on a year to year basis than these stores alone. Right. Now obviously just based off the location of the real estate, just how they're in just prime the this, just the location of the real estate and the fact that they own that, right? If they were to just shut down operations, right? Now obviously Macy's can't do that because they're too it's too much going on, right, to just say we're gonna shut it down and this is we're gonna be a real estate company. But you know, that is in theory a way on how you say, well, how you kind of need to, in theory, that is a way on unlocking additional value from a company, right? So Macy's is valuable in itself, just off the service and the stores that they sell this clothing from uh, out of the department stores. But there's also a lot of unlocked value in their real estate, but they can't shut down and sell all their real estate to make a profit, right? So not the same extreme that happened here in Lewis's case, but it is an example of, hey, sometimes you have value that's just locked in and you can't unlock that value due to other reasons. But in this case, when he brought the sewing machine, he was able to unlock additional value in different parts of the business and operations. Yeah, but the Macy's in, uh, insight, I've, I've always found that a bit fascinating with them about that. So yeah. Um, so, okay, so moving on, sewing machine, you know, figured out a way to unlock more value, multiple uses for the factor, manufacturing company uh, and facilities. Um, then he started exporting to China, new products, introducing new pro products. And, you know, it led to the company uh, being the most profitable it ever was, like in history of the company, right? Um, and then, right. you know, the real estate that the company already owned, you know, um, and own, retained the ownership of, he was able to sell it for a 90 to 1 per, uh, return, right? Which, obviously, all the investors who uh, invested in the company, they all turned a tremendous profit. 90 to 1 is nothing to sneeze at, right? Like, 90 to 1 return, that's, that's great, all right? So... And at the time, he owned about 80% of the 90 million of the deal, right? So obviously he was, you know, quite wealthy and made off of a nice little, um, nice little check. But these, yep. ty these type of business deals are more like, you know, how would you call it? Not active investors, leverage buyouts. Right or that's uh, a great way to put it. Yeah, leverage buyout. Yeah. Right, leverage buyouts, uh, acquisitions. You know, where essentially you go into companies and you buy companies to unlock the value that we were just talking about, unlock the hidden value in these companies that are not being maximized. And once you are able to maximize the value in these companies, you know, you get it to a place of profitability and all of that good stuff. Then you sell, you sell it now at a profit, and then you keep it moving. And that's a different art of business side of things that I know we don't really talk about because we're so used to talking about how to get capital for business. This is already within the this type of deal. I'm not saying this with the knowledge that you already have money, 
because he definitely had to find ways on how to fund these deals, but they were a little bit more, uh, can I say a little bit more sophisticated and complicated than the usual routes that we usually talk about in regards to like bootstrapping and crowdfunding and stuff like that, right? Sophisticated, yeah, because he was dealing with investors and people with um, significant uh, resources and significant capital. Like right. he was a nickel and diamond, really. So right, right, and also even the way how these deals had to be structured, it was there was a lot like on the back end and legalities and you know just off the debt and the terms of the sales and you know when the money had to be there and X, Y, and Z. So. Definitely a bit more involved than our usual, hey, I'm going to set up shop tomorrow and work on an MVP and see where it goes from there. Right. But there was, though, there was that one friend, I don't know if he named him explicitly, but that gave him, what was it, like 700000 <laughs> Just like, there was no paperwork, no nothing. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. I'll bring it back for you tomorrow. <laughs> so, there right. was a little bit of that. Listen, but that goes to show how much they trusted him. So. Listen, we all got those brown paper bag friends we can lean on every now and then, you know, like. That's a, that's a brown briefcase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a brown duffel bag of friends. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, and, you know, so definitely that's a whole, that's really, that's how uh, Lewis moved, right? He was more of a definitely I trying to identify businesses where there was value, hidden value, maximizing it, and then, you know, turning a nice reward, a return for him and his investors, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, how do you feel about that style of business, Sean? Is that, you know, is that... I think it works for him and his personality type. Uh -huh. um, I think he kind of thrived off of um, go, just going in and making things happen, right? He right. wasn't afraid to talk to anybody. He wasn't uh, He wasn't an introvert by any means, right? Mm -hmm. So those kind of deals kind of lend itself towards his personality type. Now, right. I don't think I can move the way he did, um, right. but I do see, like, it is amazing to, to hear and read about how he was able to maneuver the way he was and how he's able to, like, it was a lot about his presence, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, sentences and a lot of paragraphs about how he carried himself, how his demeanor was, how he had confidence, how he spoke up, you know, things like that, right. which I think is about, why the title's named what it is. It's like, how do you operate in a world where, around people where you've been told you're inferior to your whole life, right? Mm -hmm. Or you've been, been plied at least. So um, I thought that was interesting. So. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know me, I'm so, it's not even that I'm risk averse because I'm, I'm fine with taking risks. I'm so debt averse that I can't even, I don't even want any part of these type of deals here, right? Because it's really off the, um, you know, you're taking on, you're leveraging a lot in mm -hmm. the hopes that you can turn these companies around and get them to a point of profitability and sell it at a profit. And these are great efforts. I mean, what he did with that company was great. I mean, it is nothing. Kudos, right? Uh, I think for me, like you talk said about personality types, I'm like, I gotta. I, I'm just thinking about everybody I would have to interact with to turn this company around. Uh, similar to what's going on at a major tech company right about now, you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. I would, I don't, I don't think it would, I would have it in me to have to do all of that and interact with all these managers and see what the culture is like, and then try to shift the culture around as well. Because you know, let's, you're not just saying, hey, I brought a company and let me make it profitable. You kind of got to see what makes this company tick. Why is it moving the way it is? Where can it be rooms for improvement? You're thinking about culture um, and just 
the 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 mental and um, you know the ethic the uh, work ethic of the people that's already there, how they're going to respond to a new owner. You know, there's a lot to take into consideration. So these aren't you know easy feats to say the least, right? Right. And then there was a chapter in the book where he discussed how he would just read prospectuses from other companies. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Because I think that and then the fact that he worked on the other side of the financing side of things, I think those are two things that kind of gave him some confidence because he was looking at all these other companies mm-hmm. from both of those lenses and it's mm-hmm. like, all right, they did not do anything I can't do. I think that's what's his mentality. Oh, yeah, for sure. Listen, the stuff he was doing, oh, the confidence you know, props, and you need that for sure. I think we, you, there has to be a certain level of confidence. Like, I'm confident in a lot of areas. I just don't have confidence when it comes to trying to convince 20 people <laughs> that they need to be moving in a certain way, right? Right. Um, and not only confident, I just don't want to. I think that's a bigger thing. I don't even want to be bothered with trying to do it, you know. Um, but for him to be, you know, saying he, he read the, he was able to, because he came from the other side, he was able to see all angles and he did his research. I'm a big proponent of research. So the fact that he was reading pers- um, uh, perspectives and all of that affirmation, yes, you need to, especially with these type of deals. You, this is not something you just go into without any research and insight, right? Like, so yes, please. That that was very smart of him, very smart. And I think it's something that a lot of people should be doing. We should be doing our due diligence when it comes to any type of deal, right? Because even what you'll see is, even when you do your due diligence, there's still an opportunity for something to go wrong, as we will talk about in, in a bit, right? So yeah. he had the right approach. Can't knock it. He had the right approach. He had the research. There was nothing that made him feel like he couldn't do it. And and because in all, it, there wasn't anything. There was nothing that because he was just as smart as everybody else, he knew his stuff. So n- nothing. It it was just a matter of executing and going. Right. Yep. It was almost like like uh, I don't want to call it second nature, but maybe like you know, like autopilot a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Because he is so used to the nuts and bolts of what he was doing. Right. So. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. Cool. So then you know that was a big win, and he got a lot of. I'm, I don't. I think I'm confusing my points in the book now. But I mean, he was already getting a lot of press in general, right? Uh, but I believe it was the Beatrice deal that really got him like his big worldwide, th- you know, spotlight. Would you say? Would you agree? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But what 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 gave you that impression? You think that what he caught more attention for the Beatrice deal? Yeah, um, is it because of just the, the numbers? Or? I think the numbers. So if and I might be confusing points in the book, I know early on when he was getting press, he didn't really like the press he was receiving. He was very, very conscious of the press he received, right? Yeah, he was almost overly. Didn't he call? Yeah, he whatever called. publication and like <laughs> yeah. yelled at them. Yeah, he called a few reporters, a few journalists who wrote stories about him. And would I don't want to say berate, but he would correct them on what they got wrong in the article about him and how they portrayed him and so forth. So he was definitely very conscious and aware of how he was uh, how he was depicted in the press and the media, right? And I mean, I will say he did have he had some valid points in his uh, annoyance and dis dislike on how the media portrayed him. That I will say there was certain. Uh, 
points that he had, and I was like, I don't disagree. But then there was also times I was like, uh, I think I think we might be spending too much energy on this, right? Like, it's, I don't think it's worth the battle, right? Um, but he definitely didn't, you know, he tended to not appreciate articles that focus exclusively on his race, right? And also articles that, I guess, downplayed his intelligence, right? Or his involvement in a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, if they tried to make it seem like he wasn't as involved as he knew he was. He didn't like that. He didn't want to be characterized as just a guy in the room or a side player who didn't who couldn't who didn't put this together. And I think there was a few times, especially early on with some of his deals, where it was written in a manner where he didn't get his uh, full credit for his his role in these deals, and he did not like that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think it was the the Beatrice deal, uh, which. Um, that really, you know, I think made him a billionaire and so forth that really put him in the spotlight and really brought him to the forefront of, of businessmen, not just black business, but businessmen in general because of how he put it all together and was able to execute it and, and the profit as well. And that's that they go into depth in the book about how all of that came about, right? Yeah, they, they specify how he like, you know, structured that deal and mm-hmm. all the steps that went into it. Right. So I will say, we're, we're going to get into the details in a bit, but Sean, any just top level thoughts about that that aspect and that part of the book? I mean, I, I, the numbers the numbers were jarring, right? <laughs> the, amount, the amount he was working with. Right. Um, I mean, no, nah, not, not besides that. And then, well, there was the one little anecdote, um, and I hope I'm not confusing the two deals, but I remember mm-hmm. at one point, I, it might have been the call, but I'm pretty sure it was... Um, uh, Beatrice, where he was watching TV and he saw Jesse Jackson on TV running for president, uh-huh. and he was like, "Well, if he could do that, I could do this." <laughs> like, I just thought that was funny. Like... Right, right. So, okay, no, so yeah, there was a lot of things going on around this time uh, with that deal. So, for context to the audience, so Beatrice International Foods, um, it was well. He brought Beatrice International Foods from Beatrice Companies uh, for $985 million, right? And then he renamed it to International Holdings. And this is a snack, food, beverage, grocery store conglomerate, right? Uh, now, this company, as the name implies, was international. So you had facilities not just in the United States you had them in Europe there was I think France you know they owned so many different um there was so many layers to this company and and things right um so the first aspect of it was just even figuring out the legalities of how this would happen because the way he went about this deal the intent was to buy right buy the company Mm-hmm. Um, unlock the value in these different divisions of the companies and their respective countries and then sell it at a profit, right? Uh, and then, you know, as he was doing, and, and move on to the next um, deal or adventure. Now, I think one of the bigger hurt, biggest hurdles at first was just trying to figure out the financing part of it, right? Like, how does this deal get financed and who he's working with and which banker, right? And 
how to uh, reduce the amount needed because this was a leveraged buyout, right? Again, so a leveraged buyout, you know, you're, you are, a leveraged buyout is you're buying a company, but, you know, you're using the acquisition of another company, right? And, and you're using a significant amount, a large amount of borrowed money in order to finance this deal. So it's like, I don't have all this money right here, but I'm going to get this money from my mans over here to buy this company. I'm going to pay my mans back, which is kind of like most deals, but you're dealing on a higher scale and a higher level, right? So Yeah, a lot higher. <laughs> <laughs> Very high. And at these numbers, it's, it's, getting, it's, getting, it's getting a little, you know, it's getting real high up here, you know. And on top of the financing aspect that had to be dealt with, you have to f- come up with... Um, you know, he also had to figure out the plan to sell off the assets at the same time that the takeover was happening, right? So if it's if it's sounding complicated to you while I'm trying to explain it, definitely got complicated in the book, right? So it's like, I'm trying to buy this, but at the same time while I'm trying to buy this, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to sell this when I buy it and break it up in order for the profits around the same time and get this all synced up. And not just domestically, I'm trying to sync it up internationally because there's international courts and international laws that have to be adhered to depending on the jurisdiction, right? Then on top of this deal, he was also getting pushback from the different divisions within this company, uh, especially like in some of the European countries, right, Sean? Like he was, I know there was definitely some resistance on him buying um, buying the company as a whole and some of the companies mm-hmm. knew that he was going to try to sell and you know so that he was getting resistance it wasn't like everybody was all in to make this deal happen so he was really trying to figure this all out and getting a lot of pushback along the way yeah yeah definitely they were yeah definitely pushback is mm-hmm. exact word <laughs> right uh and also politics as well you know i think in the sense of you know some of these companies they knew their local laws so they would like exercise certain things like right at the last minute knowing hoping he didn't have enough time to rectify it and that you know it wouldn't go through because an issue in italy doesn't mean that it's just an italy issue it means the whole deal doesn't go through right 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 so you know he was dealing with a lot of uh hurdles to get that deal done but uh miraculous not i want to say miraculously i mean it, the book goes into how much work he had to do to make it go through so i think it would be a yeah dis- it was persistent yeah really, yeah yeah they were yeah, talking yeah. about starting the day at 3 a.m and <laughs> yeah. finishing up at 11 and then on weekends they'd take it easy and start at 9 right it's right like, yeah nah yeah so it would definitely be a bit short-sighted to say somehow and luckily like i mean I don't he was persistent. He 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 was gonna he was gonna get this deal done or die trying. That for sure, you know, like and not to be morbid and foreshadowing, but you know, definitely he had to get he was gonna make this deal happen. And he did, you know, right? This deal is kind of the deal that I ain't say it like not your championship piece, but that that's that's you know, that's his uh I don't even want to say claim to fame, but that's definitely the, the feather in his cap. Yes, 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 yeah, yeah. It was the, it was the salute. Like, ha, here I, I did it, right? Like, you know, the other deals was cool. I was making money over here. I was getting millions over there, but this was the deal right here. And you know, very, very proud of that moment. You know, he's very proud that he made that deal go through. It was, you know, it was kind of like, I've accomplished a lot, but 
this was like his proudest and biggest accomplishment to make it happen, right? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. All right, so then, you know, it goes into these deals and, you know, all the details that had to happen along the way and the trials and tribulations and the, and the setbacks. And then the book also goes into a lot of his personal relationships, which I thought was very interesting. You know, I will say for me, because I'm not really uh, in a perspective, I'm not really, well, at least, at least not at this point in my life. I'm not interested in doing leverage buyouts and buying companies and trying to unlock value and resell it. That's not where I'm at in my life right now. Mm-hmm. But I was I was interested in the uh, personal relationships that he had with his people and people that he worked with and he grew up with. I thought that was that was interesting in just how he treated people. Um, I didn't necessarily like it a lot of times, but it was interesting to see those dynamics. What do you think about that, Sean? I think it was the biggest thing I was interested in is like, I mean, I guess I've kind of said it already, but his mentality, mm-hmm. like what, what he thought when he would go into these situations, he was never, even though we've seen him get frustrated, we've seen him get angry uh-huh. and we've seen him, we've seen all kinds of emotions, but he was always calculated no matter mm-hmm. what he did and how he acted regardless of what he was feeling. So that was just, you know, uh-huh. they, they have a specific, uh, little, uh, section where they talk about, all right, well, you need to be packed passionate excuse me you need to be passionate in order to sell mm-hmm. um your idea and sell your project but when it's time to execute and when it's time to you know get it off the ground and work on things you need to not be passionate you need to be cold calc- cold and calculating really mm-hmm. so. yeah definitely give you that his persistence definitely got to give kudos and uh you know admiration to i did not like you know he was listen he you're not gonna beat him Right, like not beating him, this guy, you know, the type of mentality he has, but totally gotta give props to. But I think the areas where I didn't necessarily like or take to was just the way he treated other people, you know, like barking on people or, or expecting things of certain people, you know, uh, certain sacrifices he would come to expect from his staff and team members and stuff like that, and the way he would drive them. And, you know, to, to the point, he drove away a few key people in his life, you know, that he came up in the business with, right? And for me, eh, I don't I don't really, that's not my energy. That's not how I subscribe to things, you know. Um, I've had my own frustration with people I've worked with and people I've brought on to help me with projects. And, you know, it just doesn't work for me personally to be that kind of way, right? To just, I can't, I don't want to, berate you one minute and then act like it didn't happen five minutes later yeah <laughs> that's hilarious because there was one story i guess i like this book more than i let on in the <laughs> stories that entertain me he had uh i forget which one of his business partners was um I, but for whatever reason he just went off on him right they got in an argument and uh, uh, oh, Kevin was his name. I just remember his name was Kevin. I don't even remember what he did. Uh-huh. But Kevin was about to slam the door, walk out. He's like, Kevin, don't slam my door. <laughs> <laughs> he almost threatened him. He's like, Kevin, don't slam my door. And Kevin didn't. He gently shut the door. But then he came back later and he actually apologized to him and said, well, your reaction must mean I'm doing something wrong. So I apologize. So it, like we talked about earlier, like we don't necessarily care for everything he did. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, he always realized that like, what is the goal? What are we trying to accomplish? And he realized that, well, whatever 
whatever that disagreement was about, it was about solving it versus who wins and who loses. So yeah, see, I thought that was interesting. It's but. interesting, but that ain't for me. You know what I mean? Like I've like his the personality that he has and and that was shown in the book. Like I get it, and I think in some ways. I can understand certain aspects, like, you know, working hard and being persistent and diligent. But there is that, there is those soft skills that I just, I'm probably never going to tap. That's that that type of soft skills where you got to just keep riding people to the point of, like, for, for the sake of what? For the sake of business? That's not really me, right? Uh, I, I was thinking, when I was reading this book, I was like, oh, my God. I would stay as far away from this man as I possibly could. Yeah, I don't know if I could. I don't right. know if I could deal either. At least right. initially. Right. I was like, I, I was like, what? Like, no. Like, maybe I can work within your organization and even do some deals with you. But I would not want to be, you know, in a position where you know I'm in your inner circle and you know I I don't need that. I don't want that. That's not the type of existence I want. But it worked for him and the people. By all accounts, from the people around him, they 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 knew him and they understood it, and it was it was. I mean, they would talk about being mad, but I don't think anybody ever thought that he was malicious, right? Which I guess is some saving grace. I don't, you know, he didn't. No one ever said he was a malicious person. It's just that depending on his mood and energy, he could be a little difficult at times. Yeah, they said he had a famous temper. Right, <laughs> right, they right. Said. <laughs> right, exactly. All right. So, you know, we talked about the business deals. We talked about his personality, you know, talked about his upbringing. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of the book, it talked about his passing, you know. So towards the end, you know, he, he was a very he was a young guy. He only he was he only he was only 50. Right. Um, so, you know, initially he started noticing he had health issues or very tired, tired than usual, and showing us a breath. And, you know, initially they thought it was because he's on the road all the time. This guy was catching all the flights, all the miles, trying to close all these deals. The, the schedule that they was describing in the book was very, you know, stressful, right? Like on a flight yeah. here and then on another flight here in this country and that country and lagging. So, you know, initially thought it was just working too hard and then, Going to the doctor, we see that uh, we found out that he had a brain tumor and it was inoperable. And, uh, you know, he didn't have that long to live. So then I think once he got that news and affirmation, I think there was, you know, a certain point of, you know, just processing and then acceptance. Right. Um, And then, you know, they just talks about, you know, some of his last uh, experiences and memories and how he was preparing for, you know, his ultimate um, ultimately passing, but there was one part that uh, that felt kind of I, I think for me it just made me sad was when they found the a quote unquote healer. I I had two feelings about it. It uh. it did have a air of desperation, right? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. he's trying to do whatever he can to right. like you know postpone his life. But it's mm-hmm. also I don't know if he really he, he he didn't really necessarily believe in it. But he's like, well, what what's what's it gonna hurt? What's I it gonna hurt? Mentality. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I think for me initially, I was probably in the sense of it seemed like a desperate a desperation move. But then I also, you know, why not? What else? What else? Right. So it's like, is it really desperation? It's just like, well, I know I'm at the end anyway, so might as well see. You know, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know. I honestly can't call it. I will say for me, 
you know, I look at it from the person personally, you know, I, I grew up as a sick kid. I was a very sick kid. I listen, you want to talk about trying to find remedies when I was sick. Anything these doctors would recommend, we were trying, right? Uh, now, I would not say I'm in the same boat as, as uh, Lewis because I was not, right? But just knowing to be in a sick situation and knowing that you're just trying to see what helps. And I can't even, I didn't feel desperate. I just felt like, w why not? <laughs> what else? <laughs> it, it can't be worse than what I'm already dealing with right now. So let's just figure, see if this might help. Right. And there's a fine line, you know, I would say probably because I was a kid, maybe there wasn't that energy of desperation because when you're young, you just feel invincible regardless. Even though you're a sick kid, you still feel invincible. Right. right now, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, but now as an adult, when you're dealing with this, you might not feel as invincible. So there might be that area of uh, some desperation in there as well. Right. But. Yeah, if I had made hundreds of millions of dollars, I would be trying to save my life at any cost, too. So, mm -hmm. like, I'm not, yeah, it's not a judgment thing as much right. as it's, like, yeah. trying to understand the perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure, sure, definitely. Yeah, there's no judgment on that part. It's, like, you, you you understand all angles. It's, like, I could understand all aspects of that. Um, And so, yeah, and so then, you know, the book talks about him passing and then, you know, all the, uh, you know, prominent businessmen and politicians and, and things like that and uh you know people who sent out their condolences and who he had impacted and then you know talks about his foundation and his donation to Harvard Law School and you know things like that so uh so yeah and it, it ends on that and just talks about his impact and 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 that was the book <laughs> for the most part yeah yeah that yeah. was that was it right mm -hmm. so I think you know overall for me this was it was a different type of business book because I think with a lot of other business books, it's usually like, this is what you do. This is how you scale. This is boom, 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 boom. This is how you get funding. And this was more of a book of saying, hey, you know, this was showing us the life of someone who, you know, didn't take that route, right? Like, he, he did a lot of things on his own, and it's a different type of business. It's th His business was more of, like, leveraging and buying and acquiring and mergers and stuff like that, which... I don't think a lot of people in our community even really think about or consider a lot of times, right? Uh, which was refreshing to see. But it was also a autobiography, which I will say for me, the autobiography part, especially early on, didn't really intrigue me. But I did understand why they kind of needed to lay that foundation as they told the other parts of his story. Yeah, same. Mm -hmm. I, I, that was the least, um, the beginning was right. the least interesting. The mm -hmm. first couple of chapters was least mm -hmm. interesting for me, but yeah. understand why we had it and it, did uh, tee up all of the business deals really well and his mentality in general. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I knew I was going to get to this book one day in life just because all my all my OGs would recommend this book. So it has been on the list for a while to get to. So um, I'm glad I finally got to it. Yeah, and then I this came out when? In 90, early 90s, mid-90s? Early or? 90s. Uh, okay. Early 90s, I think uh, around 93 maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let okay. me just double check while we're... Yeah, I think 93, 94. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, good read. So, good read if you just... Like, I would say if you... I don't think... If you're going to read this book, don't expect to get, like, business insights and secrets, right? Uh, but I think it does give insight into, like, the type of personality and discipline and drive you may need to have 
in order to make a business very successful and grow and to kind of see how a person can overcome uh, a lot of obstacles that was thrown his way, especially early on in life. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of uh, some of the details when he uh, discussed the Beatrice and the McCall deals, like, yeah, I agree with you. It's more of an overall Mm -hmm. uh, overview of somebody who's really successful in business. Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. We can't go through this episode without me mentioning his jet that he bought and oh. how he had the Dallas Cowboys colors uh-huh. and, and, and that was very intentional on him. So as a Cowboys fan, I appreciated that too. <laughs> but that's it. Yo, Sean, I think you like this book more than you let on. Cause I know. I, I, started, I started off saying I didn't like it, but there's all these jets. Now you like, like, shout out to Queens, <laughs> Lewis Boulevard, shout out to the private jet with the Cowboys. I think you, 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 you was fronting in the beginning. Alright, uh, well, that's a wrap then for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed our discussion thoughts around the book. Hopefully it provided you with some value as you navigate through your business journey and personal life. As always, if you have a question you would like us to answer the show, shoot us a message on any of our social media channels or shoot us an email at questions at businessgrindshow.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and share on Spotify and iTunes. See you again soon. In the meantime, keep grinding. The Business Grind is for entertainment purposes. Opinions expressed are those solely of the host and guests. Please consult with a professional and exercise discretion before engaging in any business endeavors. I'm out here on the grind. I'm out here on the grind.